Amen, amen. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. How many of you believe that to be true? I want to speak to you for a few minutes this morning on how to get through a crisis biblically. How to get through a crisis biblically. A crisis is defined as a time of intense difficulty, trouble, or danger. Now this morning, I'm sure nobody needs this message, but take good notes because you might run into somebody who needs it. But I don't think we really need to define what a crisis is. Human experience itself affords us all with enough examples of crises. The scriptures tell us many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Job says it a little differently. He says it this way, man is born for trouble as the sparks fly upwards. What he's saying is, from his experience, knowing like very few of us know the depth of his troubles, his afflictions, his tribulation, he equates it with the natural state of sparks that burn from a flame. As sparks inevitably fly upward from a fire, people trouble in their life. I want to talk to you this morning about how to get through a crisis biblically. You say, is there any other way? Well, we do try a lot of, lot of other ways to get through our crises. This morning, you might say, well, pastor, I don't need this message. Uh, things are going great. Well, praise God for that. But as someone has once said, you are either in a crisis, you're either coming out of a crisis, or you're going into a crisis. So either way, you're going to need the word of God this morning. When you're in a crisis, there are three choices you can make. You could sit down and do nothing just hoping for the best. Or you could decide to give up and to quit. Or this morning, I hope you choose to believe God for the victory. 1 Corinthians 15, 57, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph through Christ. Romans 8.37, yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I want to tell you this morning, failure is not an option. That's a quote from the 1995 movie about Apollo 13, the moon landing mission. It was an expedition where in the movie they quoted and they said, failure is not an option. Sitting down and doing nothing is not an option. Giving up and quitting is not an option. As followers of Jesus, we must choose to believe God for the victory, believing that God will bring us through. So the question this morning, as we sit here and hear the word of God, what are some of the causes of our crises? What are some of the causes of the trouble in our life, the difficulty? I believe there are many different causes. One cause is there are circumstances that are beyond our control. 
If you study the word of God, if you know the scriptures, you know that Paul the apostle in Acts chapter 27, he was on a ship that was sailing to go to Rome and it was to be a non-eventful trip. How many of you, when you fly, uh, someone asks you, how was your, your flight? And I like to say it was uneventful, the way I like them, <laughs> uneventful. And in this ship, in this sailing to Rome, a storm came, and this storm was so great that it broke up the ship, and they literally had to come ashore just holding on to pieces of wood from the ship that was broken up. You see, this crisis, this storm, this tragic event was beyond Paul's control. And when I thought about this, it was very similar to what we all experienced during COVID. It was a crisis for all of us on many different levels. But you know what? It was beyond our control. It was a crisis that we went through. And, and when we look at life, many times there are things that are just beyond our control. What are some other causes? Being involved with the wrong people at the wrong time. Hello, elbow that person next to you. Say, I think he's talking to you now. You know the story of Jonah. Jonah was called by God to go to preach on a missions trip to Nineveh. But because of his prejudices, because of his issues, he didn't want to obey God. So he went in the other direction. And it's interesting, the Bible says he decided to flee from the presence of the Lord. Now how foolish is that? How can you flee from the presence of God? It's like trying to fight with God. You can't do it. Your arms are too short. You can't fight with God. But Jonah decided to flee. And the Bible says he went down to Tarshish and he took a ship. He took a, a, a ride going in the opposite direction. If you know the scriptures, the storm came on the ocean and God sent this storm because of Jonah's disobedience. God was going to use this storm to get Jonah's attention. But you know what? There were other people on that boat. There were other people who hadn't done anything wrong. They, were just, they just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. And they're in this boat, and you know what happens? A storm comes, and they all begin to suffer the effects of that storm. So what do they do? They, they knew something was up, so they begin to cast lots. They begin to try to figure out who is the person that is responsible. They cast lots, and they find out it's Jonah. You might have heard the saying, oh, he's a Jonah, meaning that when... <laughs> We once went on a trip years ago, uh, not this church, another church, and uh, we went on a, a bus trip to, uh, to the Amish country, and uh, it was a church group, and, and, and everything went wrong on that trip. Missing exits, uh, I mean, we didn't get to our destination, it was one problem or another, and we said, who's the Jonah on board? And one person came under conviction because they weren't living right, but we'll leave that in God's hands. You see... This crisis came because they were associated with the wrong person. They were on a boat with a Jonah. And sometimes in life, we could be connected with some people and we could find ourselves, uh, maybe, maybe it's the wrong choices of a parent or a child or a family member. They make wrong choices and there's a ripple effect, you know, that to be true. Another reason for a crisis can be a direct attack by Satan. The enemy of our soul, John 10.10, 10, Jesus said the devil comes not but to kill, steal, and destroy. 
We see this in the story of Job. What we know from the testimony of Holy Scripture that Job didn't know at that time was that the crisis was a direct assault from the devil. Sometimes, unbeknown to us, spiritual warfare is raging so powerfully against us, causing trouble, causing suffering, causing all kinds of confusion and chaos, and we don't even realize it. But the devil is attacking us, and it causes a crisis. Another reason is God will lead you into a wilderness sometimes. We see this in the life of Jesus in Matthew chapter 4, in Luke chapter 4, both uh, the, the accounts of Jesus in the wilderness of temptation. He was in a dry place. He was in a barren place. It was unfruitful. It was a difficult place. But the Bible says the Spirit led him into the wilderness. And sometimes in life, some of our difficult places, some of our hard places, our God, God is allowing us to go there for a time of testing, but it's for the purpose of developing and strengthening our faith. Amen? And lastly, sometimes the crisis, the trouble, the problem is our own fault. Now, I know you're not going to like this one. But we see this in the life of King David. We know that after a series of wrong choices in David's life, we know that he lusted after a woman that was not his wife. He took a woman that was the wife of another man. And he, because of his adulterous affair, a child was, was conceived and through his deceit and through his uh, indirectly murdering the man who was the husband of the wife. I mean, David found himself suffering the bitter consequences of his sinful choices. Now, this is a hard one. This is a hard one for all of us because it, it, it hits close to home and, and the reality of it is um, we, we all suffer pain and heartache and suffering because we have made some wrong choices in life. And sometimes we just don't have no one to blame but ourselves. And it's very hard sometimes to acknowledge this because we can all become a little bit defensive. We're not wanting to accept the reality that our predicament might be partly or wholly our own fault. Turn to the person next to you and say, he's not talking about you. He's talking about me. I think if we are honest, we could all painfully relate to this reason. Now understand, you could be sitting here this morning and maybe you are suffering some of the consequences of, of bad choices over a series of months and even years. Now without God, it's depressing. Without God, it's hopeless. Without God, there's no way out. But I thank God this morning that there is a hope, that there is a hope that we can find in the word of God, that, that there is a way out through God's word. And I want to just read this passage of scripture. You maybe heard it before, maybe you never heard it, but I want you to hear it with fresh ears, with a fresh understanding. Romans chapter 8, the Bible says, what shall we say to these things? I just listed five 
reasons. Those are not uh, all of the reasons. There might be some other reasons that you could come up with, and, and, and I'm sure there are, but I just gave you a sampling. I gave you five, but you know what the Word of God says? In all these things, in all these things, if God is for us, who can be against us? Hallelujah. He who did not spear his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died. And furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God, Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword? As it is written, for your sakes we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. That is our hope. That is our hope as followers of Jesus. You see, God's plan and his purpose for some of the crises in our life is that we would learn and that we would grow stronger. Not become bitter, but become better. Not become hardened, but become humble. So I want to speak to you for a few minutes, and we got a lot of time because the clock is, is, is just is, is not moving. So I'm going to go by that clock. It's only quarter of eight in the morning. So how do you get through a crisis biblically? How do you get through a crisis biblically? How do you get through it? Notice I didn't say get out of it. Hello? You see, we are more concerned with getting out of a crisis, but God is more concerned with what we get out of the crisis. There's a difference. We want to get out of it. We think, some of us think we're playing Monopoly. We think Christianity is a get out of jail card. Hello? I got to get, get out of jail car. That means that even if I land on, go three steps backwards or three spaces backwards and go to jail, I can get out because I got to get out of jail card. Some people think Christianity is like that. They think that because I'm a Christian, I could avoid any problems and any consequences of bad choices. I hate to, I hate to blow your bubble there. I hate to just blow the concept you have, but, but the reality of it is God is looking for us to mature and develop, and he allows those things, and it's the inevitable uh, consequence, if, you, if I can say it that way, of living on planet Earth. Understand, we live in a fallen world. We live in a world of sin. You don't have to be a theologian, a scholar, or even believe in the Bible. Just human experience will testify to the reality that this world is sinful, that there are problems, that there are unintended consequences from some of the decisions we make, and life is just hard. But God is concerned that we would get through our crisis and we would learn some things we would grow we would mature God is looking for the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives amen 
You know, more people are interested in the gifts of the Spirit. We need to be interested in the fruit of the Spirit. Gifts are given. Anybody can receive a gift. Fruit is what develops through the uh, influence of the Holy Spirit and our willingness to go along with God. And what is the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, meekness, faith, temperance, self-control. Against such, there is no law. But we as believers need to grow and develop in the fruit of the Spirit. So let me give you a few things quickly before we, we, we come to a conclusion. How do we get through a crisis biblically? How do we get through it as believers? Number one, we need to examine ourselves. Examine ourselves. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Prove yourselves. Do you Know, that Je- know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless you have been disqualified. But the scriptures say, examine yourself. I think sometimes in Christianity, we're too busy examining everyone else. You guys don't look too friendly. I'm going to try over here. <laughs> examine yourself. Evaluate yourself. You see, when we go through a crisis, we need to examine our own hearts and say, God, what are you trying to teach me? What do I need to learn? Because the reality of it is, uh, it's, it's a lifetime of learning. I wish I can tell you once you get to a certain level, you learned it all, but not until we get to heaven. God's still looking to teach you some lessons. He's still looking to teach me some lessons. I'm glad I didn't get a lot of amens on that one. James chapter 1, verse 5, we know it. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives liberally to all, but let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. But the Bible says, if any man lacks wisdom, wisdom is penetrating insight to what you're going through. Wisdom just blows away the confusion and the chaff of opinions and, and, and wrong perspectives and helps you to see things clearly from God's perspective. But now, why do I use that scripture? Because that scripture is in the context of suffering. If you back up three verses, verse three, it says, count it all joy when you fall into various crises. Amen, you're, like, you're liking that one. I could just tell by your expression. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the trying of your faith produces patience, patience produces perseverance, and perseverance the character of Christ. So in that verse of scripture, in that context, it's talking about trials. It's talking about a crisis. So God wants you to evaluate your heart and gain divine perspective on what you're going through. How many of you are still with me? For Jonah, as I made reference to, he was in disobedience. He's going in the opposite direction. And you know what? God had to get his attention, and thank God he did respond, and God gave him wisdom. You know what? He found himself in the belly of a great fish. And you know what he did? He had a prayer meeting. You tell me I can't pray. I was having a tough time praying. It's difficult to pray. He prayed in a belly of a great fish. And you know what he said? He said, those who forsake you, forsake their own mercy. He realized, he got a revelation that, how foolish am I? I can't keep running. I can't keep going in the wrong direction. 
He came to his senses. And you see, that's what wisdom does. He repented. He turned around. He examined his life. He says, look where I'm at. He says, I don't want to do the will of God, but look what it got me. I'd rather be in the will of God. And he turned around. You see, when you examine your life, and you begin to see things, and you begin, God begins to reveal things, then God can quicken your faith, and you can realize, you know, it's difficult. I know it's not easy to get out of this, but you know what? God will give me grace. So we need to examine our words as we examine our life. What are you speaking? Are you negative? Are you discouraged? Are you downcast? Are you always telling people your woes? Somebody could just say hi to you, and you just begin to tell them every problem you've ever had. And you wonder why nobody says hi to you. Some of us are digging a grave with our tongue. We need to speak life. We need to speak life to others. We need to speak life to ourselves. Remember David in the Psalms? He said to himself, why are you cast down, O my soul? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him. Paul said, as I have believed, therefore have I spoken. Speak faith. Speak hope, speak life. How? Why? Because we, have, we are loved unconditionally by our Heavenly Father. Why? Because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Why? Because the Bible says, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? You know what, though? We, we need the insight of other people. I think all of us, if we're all going to be honest, this preacher included, we all tend to look at things favorable from our perspective. We might judge people more harshly than we would judge ourselves. Or we might be more critical with other people than we would be with ourselves. So that's why we need accountability with one another and have other people who can maybe see. You know, we all have blind spots You know when you're driving in the car? How many times on the road? I mean, now we have all these fancy sensors, new cars, they could tell us. You don't even have to stay awake driving anymore. But how many, if you don't have that technology, how many, some of you, so close to getting in an accident, that car was coming. Where was it? It was in the blind spot. We all have blind spots. We need the fellowship. We need to be with other Christians. And, and I believe marriage is one of the greatest places to deal with your blind spots. I'm always pointing my wife's out all the time. She tries, but she can't find anywhere. Me, but that's... But the reality of it is we do need other people. When I was in seminary, one of, one of the first courses I took was inner city ministries and it was one of those projects that you know was just really intense like every week you had one component of this major like term paper that you had to put together I mean you had a just a lot of work but anyway um, one of the pages that I had to write was an evaluation of my own life from my perspective of what I thought my strengths were and my weaknesses all right so good you can write that we can all do that and I'm sure we're all going to come up with a long list of strengths and a short list of weaknesses. Come on now, are you going to be honest with me this morning? Even if you're not, God's speaking to you. 
But you know what, you know what they added to this? They added a, what was called a congruency check. Now you're looking at me, I didn't know what that meant either. That's why we have Professor Google now. What does congruency mean? Congruency simply means in harmony or in agreement. So what I needed to do for that paper, now this is the wisdom of the professor. What I needed to do with that paper was I had to have a close friend, somebody who knew me well, and I had to give him my paper of my evaluation of myself, my strengths and my weaknesses, and he had to write a paper to see if it was, it was congruent, if it was in harmony. Was I really, did I really have a good perspective on myself? And you know, that's such a great concept. Think about that, to have a congruency check. Some of us need a congruency check. No, no, let me correct myself. All of us need a congruency check. And what I mean by that is we examine ourselves, but sometimes we have good brothers and sisters in Christ that can speak into our life. But if you're defensive, if you always deflect it, if you're never wrong, you're perfect. I'm sorry, no one could help you. You're just perfect. You don't need any help. But the reality of it is we all do. Do you hear me this morning? To examine ourselves, but also to have, the Bible says, as iron sharpens iron, so does a man sharpen the countenance of his friend. What is it speaking of? It's speaking of that, that, that rough edges that we all have. See, what happens in churches, people love the church they go to for the first three months, for the first six months. They love that church. I'm the greatest preacher. This is the most loving church. This is the most awesome church. Until you get to know people. Until they get to really know you. Oh, I'm sorry, this is irrelevant. I, I, I'm, I'm speaking over your head. I know none of you know what I'm talking about because you're... But the reality of it is, what happens in a church is that we love it so much the first few weeks and months until we get to know people and they get to know us. And what, you begin, you begin to see the real person. And we all have rough spots. Turn to the person next to you, say you've got some rough spots. But God's given us the ministry of the sandpaper. Some of you have a sandpaper minute. Some of you are really good at rubbing people the wrong way. All right, let me, let me move on. All right, number two. This, is, this, this goes along with it. How do you get through a crisis biblically? Examine yourself. There are things that God wants to show you. Number two, stay connected. Stay connected. It says of the apostles in Acts chapter 4 that when they were threatened, when they were attacked by, by the religious hierarchy of their day, the same ones that killed and crucified Jesus would have done the same thing to them. When they were released, the Bible says they went to their own. They went to their own. What does that mean? They went to the church. They went to the body of Christ. Hebrews 10.25, hear it again. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as is the manner of some, all the more as you see that day approaching. That's God's word. Do not forsake the assembling. We've got sophisticated now. Oh, I'm connected. I'm connected online. I'm connected with Elevation Church. I'm a member online. Call them when you're sick. See if they're going to visit you. See if they're going to bury you. See if they're going to marry you. 
I'm connected online. We've come become sophisticated. We're not fooling anybody. We're fooling ourselves. No, I'm not. I'm sorry. I'm talking to them right there. <laughs> but think about it. Think about it. The Bible is very clear. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Oh, it's COVID. COVID is two, three years in the rearview mirror. Still people haven't come back to church. Hello? You see, ask anyone that's connected to Victory Church. Hear me. Hear me. Ask anyone who is connected. Connect, I said connected. I didn't say a member and they don't show up for five years. Hello? That's not connected. I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm just trying to preach the word this morning. Connected. Ask anyone who's connected to Victory Church and ask them how helpful the body of believers were to them when they were in a crisis. Oh, I thought I'd hear a better amen than that. You see, they received calls, they received prayers, they received help, they received care. You see, we need to be connected to each one. The Bible says in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, hear the word of God, it says, for in fact, the body is not one member, but many. And then Paul would use the imagery of a, of a physical body. He said, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? Or if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were the hearing, where would the smelling? But listen, but now... God has set the members, each one of them in the body, just as he pleased. But God has set each one in the body just as he pleases. And that's why God said in his word, when, when one weeps, we weep together. When one rejoices, we all rejoice together. Why? Because we're connected, we're a body, and we're part of one another. Come on, can you say amen? Thirdly, how, how do you get through a crisis biblically? Come on, we examine ourselves, we stay connected, and then we stay praiseful. We stay praiseful. Psalm 22 says, God inhabits the praises of his people. He inhabits. He inhabits. He dwells. He comes into. He surrounds us when we praise his name. And when we praise and when we worship, God comes, God releases his anointing, God releases his presence, God lifts up the countenance of those that are cast down, God touches the hearts of those that are depressed. Things happen when the presence of God shows up. Do you know when the presence of God shows up? When Jesus is glorified. When Christ is exalted. Whether in a testimony, in a prayer, in a song, whatever. When Jesus is glorified, the Holy Spirit comes. The psalmist said, I will bless the Lord at all times. When I get a job and when I lose my job. When I get a raise and when, or when I get a cut in pay. When people are patting me on the back or when they're stabbing me in the back. When they're speaking well of me or they're throwing me in a well. It doesn't matter. At all times, I will bless the Lord. That means I will choose. I will make a decision. 
You see, our worship services on Sunday morning and Wednesday nights and when we gather together should be an overflow with the praises of God in our life. The Bible says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good and his mercies endure forever. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good and his mercies endure forever. What does the Bible say? Give thanks to the Lord. Why? Because he is good. Understand this, scripture does not root our gratitude in our circumstances. It roots it in the character of God. Our praise, our worship should not be based upon how things are going in our life, but they should be based upon the character of God. What is the character of God? He's good. He's good even when things are bad. He's good even when things are not going good in our life. God is still good. Hallelujah. Anybody, 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 even people who don't follow the Lord that are not Christian, they can, they can thank God when things are going good. But it takes a people of faith to say the Lord is good even when things are not going good. Can you say amen? You see, when you and I sing with all of our heart, it touches his heart. It touches his heart. And lastly, and there are many, I still got a lot more time left looking at that clock but my last point and there are there are many others this is no by no means all inclusive of the ways to go through a trial biblically lastly look beyond what is look beyond where you're at I think one of the greatest tactics one of the greatest schemes of the enemy of our soul is to try to freeze frame where we're at right now and think this is the end. Where we're at right now, what we're going through right now is the end. See, that's why we need to look beyond what is to what will be. Sometimes because of our crisis, sometimes because of our difficulty, our trial, we might be in a small place. We might be in a restricted place. And there's nothing wrong with being in that place as long as you don't let the smallness get in you. You see, there's a difference. You could be in a small place, but don't let that smallness get in you. You could be in a dead place. Don't let the deadness get in you. You've got to look beyond. Zechariah 4.10 says, Who has despised the day of small beginnings? Listen to what Job said, Job 8.7. Though your beginning was small, yet your latter end will increase abundantly. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Though your beginning is small, yet your latter end will increase abundantly. The, 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 the greatest blessing or the greatest provision sometimes comes when the most difficult season is at its height. And we don't realize how close we are. You see, your trial, your crisis, your trouble might have caused you to dwell in a restricted, small place, but it's only for a season. God is changing the season in your life. Your beginnings might be small, but your latter end will increase abundantly. In, in, in Jeremiah, the Bible tells us that the people of God were in captivity in Babylon. They were in a foreign land, a land that was not their own. They had a little, uh, they had a place that was small and restricted. 
But you know what God said to them? I know the plans that I have for you. You know what God was saying? Don't look at where you're at. Look beyond where you are. Today, in a crisis, whatever you're going through, I don't make light of it. I don't, I don't in any way condescend to you because I know what it is to go through a trial. I know what it is to seem like things are not going to get better. But you know what? I also know the Word of God says God has a plan for my life. God has a plan for your life to give you peace and not to do you evil, to give you a future and to give you a hope. Can you say amen this morning? Would you stand together with me as the singers and musicians come back? Praise the Lord. I said praise the Lord. That scripture in Jeremiah 29 is one of the greatest promises that we have in the word of God. It's a promise that is on plaques, a promise that's on bumper stickers, a promise that books have been written about. And that's what God says, I know the plans. I know the plans that I have for you to give you a future and to give you a hope. He was speaking to a people in captivity, cast out of their land with no future and no hope in the natural, but they would have looked beyond that. But you know what You know what the key was to that passage or that promise? If you seek me with all of your heart. And like any church service, like any ministry of the word, any song that's sung, any prayer that's prayed, unless there's a faith, unless there's a, a seeking after God, I don't want my preaching, I don't want to try to impress anybody with my preaching. All I want is the Holy Spirit to use my preaching to get people to look to God, to seek Him, to reach out to Him. And that's the goal of any preacher, any minister, any Christian. Not to see, people would see us, but they would see Jesus. They would hear God. And so this morning... How do we get through a crisis biblically? Well, I gave you a few, a few tips, a few hints from the scriptures. But the bottom line is we have to seek God with all our heart. That means we can't have any other agenda. We can't have any other option. We just say, God, I'm trusting you and you only. The Bible says, blessed is the man that puts his trust in the Lord. The Bible says, cursed is the man who trusts in the arm of the flesh. And what that means is when someone thinks that they are going to figure it out without God. That's a dangerous place to be at. And we could all be guilty of that. But this morning, if you seek him with all your heart, God says, you will find me. The promise will be revealed. The grace will be given. The touch will be realized. So this morning... As the singers, musicians play and sing, I want to close in prayer in just five minutes, but, but if, give you this opportunity to respond. As they begin to sing, if that's you this morning, if you are in a crisis, you're in a situation that's driving you crazy, that's messing with you, that's overwhelming, that's got you to a point of depression, there is hope in God this morning. Come and seek Him with all your heart. In Jesus' name, amen.